the Girl Crush Podcast. Some theme music. We'll be your Sandra Bullock source. I love the range of movies that she's in. Her eyebrows, they're amazing. She's very striking features. Fast male co-star, quirky little personality. She's got real tears at multiple parts in this movie. Oh yeah. Key Sandra Bullock physical comedy. Powerful woman. I mean, she's a boss the whole movie. I'm just all in. Rom-com. Brilliant. Smart. Five out of five. Hello, and welcome to the Girl Crush Podcast. I'm Anne. And I'm Allie. We have a girl crush on Sandra Bullock, so this season we're watching all of her movies and ranking them. If you want to give us your own thoughts, be sure to connect with us on Instagram at girlcrush underscore pod. And as always, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. It really does help us out. On today's episode, we'll be talking about the 1993 movie, When the Party's Over. In this movie, Sandra Bullock plays a character named Amanda, and a group of 20-something housemates in LA navigate their love lives, work pressures, and betrayal. As a trigger warning, this episode does have mentions of sexual assault, so if that is triggering to you, you might want to skip this one, or you can skip to the end and hear how this movie ranks. If you haven't seen this movie before, you can rent it on Amazon. I I don't know that it's like totally necessary. What do you think? I would call this a a skip and just listen to the episode movie. I agree. So yeah, if you want to stop now, you can to go watch it. But like we said, we recommend just, just hanging in here with us and listening to this review instead. Otherwise, here's your spoiler alert. Okay, so getting into the plot of When the Party's Over... As a reminder, we rate the plot out of a score of 10 points, and we gave this movie a 6.75 out of 10. The movie opens with friends sitting in the dark, arguing after a party. Amanda, played by Sandy, accuses another woman, MJ, of ruining their parties, like, all the time. And one of the friends mentions, like, should we go look for, quote, her? So that'll that'll come into play later. We also see Amanda ask MJ why she's so self-destructive, and... She accuses her of taking advantage of people and not having morals. So getting into it pretty quickly. Strong words for the opening scene. (laughs) Just to give you an idea of who everybody is, we have this group of friends. We already talked about Amanda and MJ. They also have their other best girlfriend, Frankie, and her boyfriend, Taylor. We also meet Banks, and we find out that MJ, Frankie, Banks, and Amanda are all roommates. And we also see Amanda's younger brother, Will, hangs out with them a lot who, by the way, looks like way too old to be an 11th grader. Like, we find out he's in high school, and this actor looks so much older. Full-grown adult. (laughs) So we flash back to MJ's birthday, an example of one of these parties she's ruined, apparently. And a group of friends wakes her up in her bed, and this rando, Henry, also emerges from under the covers. And the only reason I'm saying that right now, it's not even relevant to the plot, but the only reason I'm saying it is because the guy is Dan from One Tree Hill. (laughs) It's so Just, gross. And it's like, I mean, this movie is from 1993, so he is like quite a bit younger then. But just like, I can't think of him as anything other than Dan from One Tree Hill. No, just immediately negative vibes. Yeah, seriously. So MJ is on her way to work and rear ends someone. And we get to know a little bit about her character, her personality, because she ends up charming this guy into giving her his number and basically like, so he doesn't care about the fact that she rear ended him. Mm hmm. And she ends up missing her own birthday party that night. All of her friends are waiting for her at the restaurant, like, speculating why she's not there. And I'm like, another movie where, thank God for cell phones. Yeah, agreed. The scenes like that where people are just waiting for their friends in a restaurant, I don't know if you ever, did you ever watch Sex and the City? No. Okay, I'm a big Sex and the City fan. But there's this episode where Carrie's, like, alone at dinner waiting for her friends to come for her birthday. It's very upsetting. Ugh. 
That's awful. I'm so glad we're not in a day and age where that would happen now. Yeah, seriously. (laughs) So we find out MJ seems to be stuck at this work dinner with like three middle-aged guys. She finally gets home after all of her friends have already, you know, called it a night, decided to go home. She did like bring them ice cream, but she's also drunk. So they're like, really? Could you have left this dinner? Mm -hmm. And she promises that she's going to take everyone out once she gets commissions from her clients. And then she starts, like, bragging about how expensive the dinner was, how expensive the champagne was, like, kind of throwing it in their face that she just ditched them for all this, you know, high like, read the room, read the room, MJ, now is not the time. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Also, I put a note in here, like, Sandy's jumpsuit in this scene is so cute, but I think you might have had a different opinion based on your note here, and I can't remember I, what it looks like, so we're going to have to look up a picture. <laughs> I thought it looked like a, like, 90s curtain fabric. I think it's, like, very floral. I'm going to try and find a picture of it. Yeah, we have to find that. We'll, we'll post it. And you can tell us whether you side with me or Anne. I might change my mind. I don't know. <laughs> so we find out that Taylor, who remember, Taylor is Frankie's boyfriend. They're all in this group of friends. Taylor and MJ have been sleeping together, even though he's with Frankie. And Taylor comes up to MJ and is like, things are becoming serious with Frankie. This can't happen anymore. And MJ just laughs it off and seems to have literally zero conscience. So, like, so far, I agree with Sandy here. Girls got no morals. I mean, they're both terrible people. Agreed. And MJ is, like, trying to seduce Taylor, even though he's trying to break things off. And he starts to walk away, but eventually he gives in. The worst. Taylor, you think at the beginning of the movie that maybe Sandra Bullock's character, Amanda, is being hard on MJ in the first scene. Mm -hmm. But now I'm like, no, I'm with Amanda. I think she was in the right to, like, call her out. Right. And also, they are in the living room of this house where they are all roommates. Like, how are they not afraid that somebody is going to catch them? Right. Bold decision-making. Very bold. So we go over to Amanda's story now. She's an aspiring artist fighting for female representation in art. And she and Banks are commiserating about being unsure of their futures. And Banks says he's thinking of going back to theater out east instead of continuing to pursue acting in L.A., And he also mentions he doesn't have enough money to pay rent for this month. So Amanda's like, well, I just sold a painting. I can cover you. So we start to get to know like a little bit more about these characters, their relationships, like their friendships, and they're all just trying to make it. I think Amanda and Banks, I would say I like their friendship the most in this movie. I agree. It's just like a very down to earth, sweet friendship. Mm -hmm. And just to tell you a little bit more about Amanda, she's pitching art to a gallery owner who declines her art, but then he's like, but maybe if we go to dinner, you can change my mind. And boss move by Amanda tells him no. Yes. Love it. It's just like such a clear delineation between her character and MJ's character. Yes. Like in that moment, I hope that's what they were intending to do because they are just polar opposites in how they're approaching their careers and themselves, I guess. Yes, absolutely. Even with that scene of MJ earlier, like flirting with the guy to get out of getting in trouble for rear-ending his car. Mm-hmm. So MJ's boss is having a party that night and she brings her friends along to this party. Have to note... Sandra's outfit in this, it is like the most 90s thing you could imagine. (laughs) It's like this bandana looking top with, I don't know, we couldn't figure out if it was just a bandana or if it was like a bodysuit with like a super high thigh cutouts. I'm really not sure. I'm I'm looking at a lot of her costumes from this movie right now and they're so strongly 90s. Like, I think we're going to have to have people vote on 
what their favorite outfit is of hers <gasps> in this movie. Oh, yeah. That's a good idea. I love they that. They are statement pieces. <laughs> yes. And Frankie, meanwhile, is wearing, like, white skirt, white tights, and this big fluffy blouse. So, yeah, the costumes in this movie are very 90s. And at this party, a bartender named Alexander Midnight looks at Amanda like he's in love with her, comes on to her, talking about how he must have met her in a past life and that every moment of his life has led him up to this very moment. And immediately it's like, ding, 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 creeper. Yes, she's just like laughing at him. She's like, does anyone ever buy this? Which I think is super funny. And he probably looks familiar. He's played by Fisher Stevens, who is not, he's like a pretty iconic like side character Mm -hmm. in a lot of stuff. So he has such a familiar face, but he's not someone I, like, immediately know the name of, you know? Right, right. But this guy is so weird. He literally, like, disrobes, takes off his bartender outfit, and underneath he's wearing this, like, striped shirt and jeans, and he's like, you want to go on a walk? And they end up getting into a tub in this mansion, mind you, at her friend's boss's party, like, very far removed. And they're just, like, down to their underwear in this tub together. Very strange. Very. And Alexander is extremely annoying, talking very poetically to a man on the hot tub. And our notes here are like, this makes me want to throw up. (laughs) (laughs) It's very weird. Yeah. And he's like talking about how it was love at first sight for him. Do you believe in love at first sight? Not love at first sight. I believe in intrigue at first sight. Okay. Then it was not love at first sight for you and Kale. (laughs) (laughs) No. She doesn't remember first sight. (laughs) Kale, do you have a different answer? Thank you. Um, no, I mean, it depends on how you're defining love because, yeah, I, I wasn't literally in love with you, but from the first time we met, you don't remember, but I thought, man, it'd be awesome if I could marry someone that hot and that nice. <laughs> and then I did. So, I mean, like, I can't make a strong case against it. I will say also, my mom was dating a guy for like, I think like five years. And the day she met my dad, she broke up with that guy. And she says it was not love at first sight, but it opened her eyes to what else was out there. I mean, so yeah, I don't know. I feel like that's a tally in the love at first sight column. Yeah. So I guess I want to say no, but then I don't know. You hear of these stories that it's like, well, like I said, maybe not love, but definitely intrigue. How about you and Scott? I guess not love at first sight, but it was, you know, from first date being like, okay, yeah. That was great. We went on like seven dates in 10 days or something. I mean, yeah, yeah. once we had our first date, we were like, yep. <laughs> That's it. That was it. <laughs> yep. I love that. That's so cute. So I guess something to be said for that. Yeah. So MJ is getting ready to go to dinner with this venture capitalist she met at this boss's party. And Frankie and Amanda are sitting on her bed as she gets ready talking. And MJ mentions that she hasn't seen Frankie and Taylor together lately. And Frankie confides in them that he quit his job and has been acting weird lately. And rude of MJ to be, like, bringing this up, stirring up issues between them. hmm Yeah, why? Like, you, you know exactly why he hasn't been around. Right. Like, come on. And Frankie mentions that it's their one-year anniversary coming up, but she doesn't think Taylor will remember. This scene just, like, gives you the feels of sitting on your girlfriend's beds, hanging out while one of them is getting ready to go to an event or on a date. Gave me such flashbacks to living with you and with our friend Sydney. Yes. Uh, so many feels. Love it. 
Those are some of the best moments. Also, kind of unrelated, but the first time I went on a first date after a pretty bad breakup, and you guys were just like hyping me <laughs> up so hard, like blasting music. It was, uh, it was great. Yes, and you know what? That's what friends should be doing—not MJ sleeping with her friend's boyfriend and then trying to make her feel bad about her relationship. Agreed. MJ is the worst. Ugh. So MJ goes to this client dinner with this guy named Paul. She asks about his divorce, and Paul is, like, saying that his wife cheated on him, and then he kisses her. And MJ does stop him, and she reverts the conversation, like, back to business. And this guy keeps kissing her, and she tries to stop, saying she doesn't think that they should be doing this. And she says no, but he keeps on kissing her, and he ends up assaulting her and essentially, like, rapes her. And it escalates so quickly. Like, ugh, what a sicko. It's horrible. Yeah, it is. It's an awful scene. And of course, you're feeling terrible for MJ. You know, she's a terrible protagonist, but she nobody deserves that. Obviously. Nobody yeah. deserves that, period. Right. So Frankie and Taylor are having like a very moody one-year anniversary on his boat. And Taylor did, in fact, forget about their anniversary. And he seems like conflicted or lost, but really it just seems like maybe his conscience is weighing on him since he's like cheating on this sweet woman with MJ. And he's kind of like having this existential crisis, looking at the stars, but then he seduces Frankie. So, I mean, he just does not know what he wants or does not know what's appropriate. Mm -hmm. And Frankie ends up asking Taylor to take her home. And she declines him coming inside. And he's like, are you mad at me? Like, what's going on? And she's like, I'm just tired. But obviously, Frankie can tell, like, something is up. If a woman ever tells you that she's just tired, <laughs> that's probably only true maybe 15% of the time. Yeah, that's probably right. Yeah. <laughs> she's especially mad at you. take into account the tone of voice. Yes. On your anniversary, especially. <laughs> yeah. That's rough. <laughs> So meanwhile, Alexander Midnight keeps calling for Amanda and Amanda's like trying not to, you know, talk to him because I think she was just like having a little fun at that party. Mm -hmm. And at one point, Amanda even answers with a fake accent, which is hilarious. And he asks what she's doing that night. He like knows it's her and she says she's painting and he wanted to take her out, but then asks if he can come over like just for an hour and she agrees. And they, like, confide in each other. They, like, kind of bond over their stories. And then he is like, I have to go. Suddenly. <laughs> it's, very, it's very weird. It's a very weird exchange. And then he, like, sticks his gum on her nose and stares into her <gasps> eyes obsessively. I cannot accurately express how much I hate gum. I don't like hearing it. I hate seeing it. <laughs> if it's anywhere other than your mouth, we have a problem. That, like, gum wall in... Oh, Seattle. Seattle. I would vomit, I think, if I went to it. Like, I would have an anxiety attack and vomit <laughs> because I hate it so much. Like, it makes me cringe. Do you like to chew gum? No. I mean, sometimes, but I will not do it in front of someone else. I'm thinking of all the times I probably chewed gum in front of you and you wanted to kill me. <laughs> I don't think you're super obnoxious. Like, some people, like, who snap their gum, yeah. I'm just like, No. Uh, wow. That makes me want to do, like, I would be on an episode of Snapped because of that, I think. <laughs> like, I can't wow. stand it. I mean, it is disgusting. He literally puts it on her nose, his chewed up gum. And if you're like, what just happened between those two people? Don't worry. You didn't miss anything. We also felt that way watching it. So MJ pulls up after her dinner. Taylor's still sitting in the driveway, like, after he dropped Frankie off. And she gets out of the car, 
she's sobbing. She throws up. Remember, she just went through this really awful experience. And Taylor rushes to her side asking what happened. And she collapses into his arms. And this moment is, like, so horrifying, so sad. Even with everything that's happened between the two of them, like, he's just being her friend in this moment. Yeah, it's awful. Back to the present. Amanda is, like, pretty harsh towards MJ again. And she's like, why didn't you report this? And... She says if you're not going to deal with it legally, you at least need to deal with the emotional side of it rather than using it as an excuse for treating other people like crap, which you're like, (gasps) ouch. Yeah. And I can't (sighs) remember how much time has passed between these events at this point. Like, yeah, they don't really give us a good clue. I would guess maybe a couple of months. Yeah. And it's hard to say whether like, Obviously, they are very different people, very different characters, but they're still friends. They're roommates. Mm-hmm. And so it's hard to tell, like, how much of it is Amanda being just critical of MJ's character and how much of it she's, like, trying a tough love tactic to, like, actually help her. Yeah, it is kind of hard to tell. But I will say we also see a flashback back in the past to three weeks after the attack. And MJ climbs into Amanda's bed, fighting a panic attack, you know, dealing with everything that happened. And Amanda is really, really nice to her when this happens. MJ's like blaming herself for the whole situation, which is obviously so sad, so horrifying. And she's like sobbing in Amanda's arms, reliving the whole thing. And Amanda holds her, comforts her, tells her it's not her fault. She was very much there for her in that moment. So you kind of get the sense that hopefully it is a little bit of tough love. And maybe she's really just trying to tell MJ, like, and maybe not the best way, but trying to help her think of ways that she can deal with this trauma. Right. That scene with Amanda comforting her is really moving and Mm -hmm. really sad. Like, it is excellent acting. I think that's maybe the best acting in the movie is that scene between the two of them. Yes, I completely agree. And that scene, like, before this, you kind of don't understand why MJ and Amanda are really friends because they're so different. And not that this scene tells you why they're friends, but you get to see a bond between them that we hadn't seen the rest of the movie yet, which I think is kind of cool. Yeah, agreed. So we also see that Banks goes to Paul's apartment. Remember, Paul is the guy that did that to MJ and sucker punches him when he opens the door, which is probably my favorite part of the movie. We love a good punch. Seriously, especially someone who deserves it like that. Go Banks. Go Banks. Banks is such like a sweet side character. Yeah, like he doesn't get a lot of time in this movie, but honestly, like that's one of the best things that happened in the movie. So I love that. Great. Good for him. Yeah, a little bit of justice. (laughs) So back to Alexander, Alex, as I'll call him from now on. He and Amanda are like hanging out prior to his performance art show that night. And his apartment is covered floor to ceiling in art. There's like a paper mache mannequin in his bathtub. It's like all very weird. And it's really hard to understand why she's even entertaining time with this guy because she seems very, I mean, she's artsy. She's an artist, but she seems like very rational in every other part of her life. So you're kind of like, what is the appeal of this guy? She seems generally kind of amused by him. Like when yeah. she's around him, she has this, it's not a mean smirk, but she kind of has a smirk on her face where she's just like, what is this guy doing? Yeah. Like she just can't figure like it's him out. fun. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Maybe that's it. I can't stand him though. No, he's horrible. He's just so weird. So all the friends go to his show that night, and also Amanda's paintings are on display there too. But Frankie hasn't gotten there yet. Side note, just another little, like, nugget of how weird Alexander McKnight is. Like, his performance art that he's doing, he's, like, kind of doing prose poetry about his life, and at one point he literally reenacts his own birth. 
So yep. that's what you are missing out on if you haven't seen this movie. So you're welcome <laughs> for just telling you about it here instead of you having to see the whole thing. <laughs> So remember, Frankie hasn't shown up to this show yet, and we see where she is. She's a social worker helping this community mural project, and there are tons of people hanging out near the mural, including her friend Mario, who's the main artist of this mural, and Frankie starts to leave when suddenly there's a drive-by shooting, and everyone gets home after the show. Taylor's sitting in the dark, worried about Frankie because she still hasn't come home yet, and he's like, that's unlike her. He's about ready to call the police, but the friends are like, let's give it a little bit longer. And while they're waiting, they're all kind of talking. We find out that Banks has been accepted into Steppenwolf and will be moving to Chicago. And Alexander is there with them for whatever reason. He, like, stares at Amanda for, like, a full minute, kisses her, and then he leaves. And then Frankie arrives home. And at first, Taylor's, like, lecturing her, asking her where she's been. But then he sees that she's really upset, and she just breaks down and starts sobbing. And we learn that in this drive-by shooting, Mario, the mural painter, died. And she is, like, obviously devastated. She witnessed this horrific crime. So they're all preparing for this New Year's Eve party that they're throwing. And MJ, Amanda, and Frankie all end up in the bathroom during the party. And Frankie tells the girls that she was offered a job in San Francisco. And she hasn't told Taylor yet. MJ pretty much immediately goes up to Taylor and was like, crazy about Frankie, that job offer in San Francisco. What are you doing? Like. She is self-destructive. She I mean, really she's is. been through something horrific, but you could see prior to that that she was already like this, and now that behavior is just, like, magnified almost. Yes. Oh, it's so painful to watch. And Taylor goes up to Frankie, obviously, and, like, confronts her about this move, but then asks her to marry him, which we did not expect. Mm-mm. And Frankie says yes. Also did not expect. No. Very bizarre. Very. So Frankie, you know, goes up to the girls excitedly. She asks MJ, like, can you believe Taylor just asked me to marry him? And MJ looks very confused, basically like her evil plan backfired. And so she goes to find Taylor and essentially is like complaining about how she'll never find love, how stupid monogamy is, and follows him into a bedroom. And Taylor's upset with MJ. He's, like, trying to do the right thing here. He reiterates he's in love with Frankie. He's going to marry her. He's basically like, I don't want to have anything to do with you in that way. And she tries to seduce him, but he calls her on it. But eventually, she, like, corners him, basically, like, follows him into a bedroom, kind of, like, jumps onto him and straddles him against his will. And he's trying to get her off of him. And right at that moment, Frankie goes upstairs and walks in on that happening. (gasps) And this is the one time Taylor was trying to do the right thing. Right. Yeah. But obviously his his past actions have led to this. So. Yeah, I guess this is karma. Yeah, exactly. So obviously, like, Frankie's really upset and she runs off. So now we've connected to the present, which is New Year's Day. And Taylor still hasn't been able to find Frankie. So at the beginning of the movie, when they were asking, like, should we go look for her? This is what they were talking about. And they're all arguing. And Alexander jumps in saying, Frankie will be here when she'll be here, which is super dumb. And I'm like, why are you even here, Alex? What are you doing? Not helpful. Not helpful. But somehow this quiets everyone. (laughs) They all accept it. And... Eventually, Frankie gets home, and MJ grabs Frankie's arms, trying to explain what happened, and Frankie punches her. I gotta say, 
MJ kind of deserved that. Totally. And Frankie's like the sweetest character throughout. It seems so against her character to punch her, but you're right. It was deserved. And Taylor then yells at MJ, is like, you need to tell Frankie what I said to you in that room, that I was trying to get you out, that I was trying to push you off of me, etc. And MJ does. And Frankie then asks if it's ever happened before. And neither one of them answers, which obviously is your answer right there, Frankie. Right. So MJ like sits on the floor. She's upset. She's like, I need help. And I need you, Frankie. Which is like the worst (laughs) thing you could say in this moment. Like, here, I just essentially ruined your life, or that's at least what it feels like to her. But I need you. Yeah, let me guilt trip you into... Right. She's a disaster. A complete disaster. But Frankie comes back with, I used to think it was important that people needed me, and look what I have to show for it. And then she says she's moving out of the house and told Taylor to leave. Boom. I don't know where Frankie went in those hours where she disappeared, but she did some thinking. Yes, she did. (laughs) It's pretty amazing, though. I was afraid she was just going to go back to Taylor. Oh, I was, too, because she is such, like, a soft-spoken, sweet character. So I love that she ends up standing up for herself at the end of this. I completely agree. And so all the rest of the friends are kind of, like, disbanding right now. Like, poor Banks has to get on his flight to Chicago. He's like, bye. Who can drive me to the airport? (laughs) So Amanda, Alex, and Amanda's little brother will take him. And that leaves MJ sitting on the floor. And soon Frankie leaves as well with her duffel bag and Taylor is waiting outside and Frankie ends up just driving away looking relieved. And we don't know what happens to any of them after that. That's just sort of how the movie ends. They all drive off in their different directions. MJ's sitting there. Taylor's waiting in the driveway and we don't know what happens. We just assume Taylor goes inside to MJ. Yes, probably because they're both terrible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the end of the movie. So we rated this a (sighs) 6.75. It's okay. The flashing back feels a little bit unnecessary. I don't really think it added that much. I think they could have just told the story in the chronological timeline and it would have been less confusing. And yeah, I don't think it added that much. What do you think? I agree. It it almost felt like it was meant to be a play. Ooh, yeah. And I don't know if it is, but I, I actually think this would be a good play. Yeah, that's super interesting. Ooh, I think it would be a way better play than it would be a movie. Because so much of it are these, like, central conversations like, yes. between the friend group. So, yeah, I, I, wow. think, I think it'd be a really good play. I would go see it. I love that. Yeah, that's really interesting. The uh, tagline of this movie is sex, love, and friendship in the 90s. <laughs> and, like, all the promo pictures, like, they look like they're trying to do, like, Dawson's Creek or, like, yeah, something. Yeah. It's, like, all, you know, all these friends hanging out. And I, I do like that you see these young 20-somethings trying to figure out their careers. You know, yeah. that's very relatable. The fashion is amazing and hilarious. It is, like, uh, the 90s on a roller coaster. We'll post like, a lot of pictures of this one. It's, it is yeah. so iconic. It's so good. It is extreme. Yeah. I also think... They address a lot of topical things, and I thought it aged fairly well for being a movie Mm -hmm. in the 90s, like addressing a lot of big topics. They talk about obviously like struggling with your finances as they're trying to figure out their careers, finding your footing at work, relationships. We didn't talk about this, but they dabble into talking about homosexuality, which for a 90s movie seems pretty big. And we should say Banks' character was gay. But Mm -hmm. the fact that we didn't even feel the need to say that, I guess, in our plot recap I think points to how it wasn't like he was just some token character it was just who he was Mm -hmm. so I think that was pretty well done for the 90s yeah 
and the topic of gun violence and sexual assault. Like the way they handled those things in the movie, I thought aged like very impressively. Agreed. I mean, a lot of times that stuff is done and it's just so cringy to look back on, but I I do agree. I think they handled them very well. Um, And I'm not like, sometimes when you go back and watch movies, you're like, oh, I'm embarrassed for this movie because it's so, was just not handled well. And this one, you don't feel that way. Yeah, I totally agree. So I think some of the drawbacks for it, I thought it was a little bit slow moving. The fact that you just brought up that this could be a play is like blowing my mind because that would make it a lot more entertaining. But for a movie, it just felt like with only just these heavy conversations, it it was just a little bit slow. Yeah. And we don't get to know a lot about like MJ's character just throughout these conversations. And I feel like I would have liked to know and understand her more. Mm Mm-hmm. I do agree, though, in the movie, the flashing back is a bit weird. It it didn't add much, and it's just a little clunky the way that it was done. And this is definitely one of those movies where, like, the point isn't super clear. Like, it's really one of those, like, snapshot of their lives. Yes. Kinds of movies and the drama that just, like, comes along with early 20-somethings in L.A. figuring out their lives. Yeah. So it's, it is a little slow, I think, because of that. There's just not, there's not, like, a central plot, really. Right. Right, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, it was like, okay, 6.75. I mean, it's still a positive score. Yeah. For Sandra Bullock's character of Amanda, we rated her a 7 out of 10. She does have a lot of interaction with her brother throughout this movie. She's clearly like a good big sister. She keeps him safe. Like we didn't cover that a lot in the plot summary because it's just like these side interactions that happen with like her relationship with her dad and stuff like that. Just like little snippets. Also have to say the casting of Sandra Bullock and the guy who played Will was really well done. Yeah. Like they do look like siblings. They which totally look I also like siblings. Always enjoy. Yeah. I also we kind of mentioned this before, but I think she's a good friend. Like, especially with Banks, they kind of have a connection. Like her helping him pay his rent, comforting MJ in the middle of the night when she's having that panic attack. I think you do see that she is a good friend. And even though her words to MJ seem really harsh, I mean they were really harsh. I think she's just being honest with her, and I think she's just trying to tell her what she thinks she needs to hear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And it, like you said, we don't learn a lot about MJ's character, but she is this, you know, aspiring professional in LA. She seems very motivated and moving up very quickly, and like she just seems like the kind of person who you probably do need to be blunt with. So I, I think Amanda kind of tried both tactics with her to see like what she really would respond to. Mm-hmm. As we mentioned before, love that she does not agree to dinner with the art dealer, which I imagine is super tempting when you're, you know, 20, 21, struggling in LA, you know, anything to sell a piece of art. But she was like, nope. Yes, I love that. Another thing about like her dad is that he clearly lives nearby because Will is like over at their apartment all the time. Mm -hmm. And he clearly has money because just the snippets of the scenes that you see with him and the fact that Will is like borrowing his dad's really nice car. Yeah. You can tell, like, she could have support if she needed or wanted it, but she's so determined to make it on her own, like, scraping rent together, Mm -hmm. doing the whole struggling artist thing. And, you know, you have to respect her for that. Yeah, for sure. I think one drawback is her interactions with Alexander Midnight. I agree with you. I think she was, like, amused by him, but I feel... Like, that part threw me off of her character a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I think it's part of what made me think we shouldn't rate it higher because I didn't understand it. You know what I mean? Like, it wasn't super clear to me. Yeah, and there's no really, like, clear indication if it's actually a romantic relationship or not. Yes, yeah. Which is fine if it's not. 
But it, it's you're like, am I supposed to be rooting for this to happen? Or are you guys just friends? Like, I'm, right. I'm not sure what's happening. And it's a little bit weird. Like, he was not really necessary to the storyline. Like, no. Her stuff was also at that art show. So, like, that's the reason for them to be at the art show. Like, it's a little odd to me that they threw that in there. Yeah. With no clear, like, goal as to what that did for her character. I appreciate that it gives her storyline another layer. I just don't know if mm-hmm. it was a meaningfully contributing layer. Yes, that's fair. Anything else on her character? I don't think so. It's actually a lot to say for this character, I think. Yeah, yeah. I think so, too. So for Sandra Bullock's acting, we rated it a 6.5 out of 10. So this is early on in her career. I think she still did a good job. You see, like, some of her key Sandra Bullock moments, like the way she laughs, the way she rubs her temples. She has a few eye rolls in there that are, like, so iconic to Sandy. Mm -hmm. So you get to see – it is fun to see her early on in her career have those, like, quirks that she so often even still brings to her acting. And I really like her interactions with her little brother, Will. Mm -hmm. I think they're super believable, super real. I think that was a strong point of the acting. Yeah, very genuine. Mm -hmm. I think her acting overall is enjoyable. It doesn't feel necessarily unreal, but it's not overly impressive either. I think her best acting moment is whenever she's, like we said, comforting MJ. Mm -hmm. When she's having a nightmare or whatever that was in the middle of the night. But overall, she's pretty even killed the entire movie. Not like a huge span of emotion or expression. And I I think she had moments where she could have stretched a little bit more. Yes. Potentially. Totally. Especially because she was the character who was basically like trying to be the moral compass for MJ. And I think her confrontation with MJ, even though she like said harsh words, I think they could have been delivered more emotionally. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we actually wrote down in this movie, which is like very uncommon for us to say, we wrote down in our notes that we think of the three leading women that the other two actresses actually did better than Sandra Bullock. Primarily because they both have scenes where they have really emotional moments or outbursts. Yes. Yes. And Sandra's character... She really is like the steady ship in this movie. Like she's kind of Switzerland, I think, in their friend group. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But yeah, overall, 6.5 out of 10. Still a pretty solid score for an early on movie. Yeah. And then for a Boss Babe score, we rated this a 1 out of 2. Not really Boss Babe, but her outfits are amazing. She looks incredible. Her hair is amazing. Like I can't wait to post some photos, some screen grabs from this movie because it is at least worth checking those out. Yes, for sure. And then for our Would You Watch Again category, as a reminder, we rate this out of five points. We generally give it a one if we both say we would not watch it again, or a five if we both say we would watch it again. We gave this one a one. Even though I was, like, decently entertained by it, like, overall did not score terribly in our ratings, I don't really feel the need to watch it again. It was kind of slow moving, so I don't really think I would get anything more out of it by watching it a second time. Agreed. So to review for When the Party's Over, we gave this plot a 6.75 out of 10, Sandra Bullock's character Amanda a 7 out of 10, Sandra Bullock's acting a 6.5 out of 10, a Boss Babe score of 1 out of 2, and a Would You Watch Again score of 1 out of 5 for a total score of 22.25 out of 37 points, which means that When the Party's Over is ranked number 29 out of 48, which really isn't that bad. True. Yeah. I feel like it's where we would expect a movie this early on to fall. I would say, like, if this movie is free somewhere and you are a movie or Sandra Bullock buff, go ahead and watch it. I wouldn't pay to watch this again. Yes. Agreed. Is that fair? Yeah. I like that. Okay. As usual, thanks for listening to the Girl Crush Podcast. Let us know your thoughts on today's movie on Instagram at girlcrush underscore pod. 
You can also find us on our website at girlcrushpodcast.com or email us at podcastgirlcrush at gmail.com. Tune in next time when we'll be talking about Hope Floats. Bye. Bye.